a lot of times early stage, you do look at, okay, who's the founder? What's the potential market opportunity that I believe need to believe in, right? And then, yeah. you know, if it's at the idea stage, you mentioned before an idea, I, I think it's more about execution, right? More than, see a lot of times founders pitching us saying, hey, we're the first one out here doing this or that. And you end up Googling and next thing you know, there are 10 other companies doing exactly the same thing or, or 10 other companies that are in the similar space, right? So more than likely, there are very few times when it is the idea. But you mentioned it before, I think, in terms of self-awareness, right? And the ability to know what you know and what you don't know is super critically important, right? And then being able to say, look, and even being honest with, with whether it's investors or, or other partners or advisors saying, hey, I've got a gap here, right? I need to surround myself with the right people who can fill that gap, or I need to be able to fill a gap myself right, and, and increase my knowledge. Welcome to the ATL Alt Podcast. I am your host, Andre Sindate. And I have designed a podcast to interview founders, fund managers, investors, allocators, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and executives whose stories I believe will inspire, educate, and inform. All of our guests are investing capital, raising funds, executing transactions, closing deals, and serving clients. And many, perhaps like you, have overcome long odds, setbacks, adversity, difficult circumstances, and more. Through all of this, a story emerges. And it's typically the source and inspiration for why they're pursuing what they're doing today. Join us on ATL Alts, where our guests will take you on a personal and professional journey that will inspire, educate, and inform. Today on the ATL Alts podcast, we are joined by Eric Bolin, advisor, investor, COO, executive coach, board member, founder and CEO, and a strategy and operations executive based in Boston. If you are interested in venture capital, and more specifically, the characteristics and qualities of backable founders and startup CEOs, I think this discussion will be informative. My interview with Eric covered raising capital successfully, the state of the VC industry including valuations, the emergence of Reg CF and other online fundraising opportunities, building and recruiting teams for early stage founders, and then also Eric's productivity hacks. So I hope you'll join me on the ATL Alts podcast where I sit down and interview Eric Bolin. Today on the ATL Alts podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Eric Bolin in Boston. Um, Eric is an advisor, investor, and fractional executive that works um, with startups, venture firms, and other corporate innovators to drive growth and shape the future. Eric, welcome to the ATL Alts podcast. Um, thanks. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Eric, uh, one of the things about the ATL Alts podcast is, you know, storytelling, and you've got a really compelling uh personal story and you know the, like who you are and what you're doing and i want to get into that but you also and one of the one of the reasons i wanted to have you on the show for um for for this discussion is i think you have a, a really compelling vision and values in action um you know there's a lot of people that talk a lot in the venture space and in the capital markets and alternative investment space 
um, about doing things and the change we need. And then there are people who actually take action and they live their values through activities. Um, and so I wanted, I wanted to share a little story before we jump in about how we met. Um, I think we were both at a, a webinar and one of the things that I was very attracted to that you're doing is you have this founder's toolkit and this founder's toolkit, you know, while maybe a simple thing for you to put together, um, I was really compelled and I'd love for you to talk about that. Um, in the show today, the founder's toolkit, I thought was just super helpful to me and a lot of other people that are interested in, um, in venture and in startups. And so, um, I want to ask you about that later, but before we do that, tell me about you, tell me about where you're from and, and, you know, how did you get to kind of where you are today in the, in the startup space? Sure. I'm sure. Happy to. Um, so I uh, was born in Germany, uh, to an American dad and a uh, German mom. So I'm, I'm half uh, half german half uh, american and uh, lived there for 12 years and then uh, subsequent to that we moved to the us um so i i, I st still speak some german but uh it's, it's a little bit rusty right now um uh, but in terms of my career uh, i've been in the startup and corporate innovation space my entire career uh, i was employee number one at a startup when i went to a university at the college of William mary in williamsburg virginia uh, and um, while I was there, I, I saw a flyer on the dorm wall about, hey, we need an employee to help us with operations, marketing, sales, everything essentially, right? And this was a startup back in the days when you could put together components for PCs and um, where you had the rise of Dell and Apple and, and uh, other uh, startups that really targeted that particular space. And for us, it was, well, that's a great market because every student those days needed a PC. So uh, Lee Scruggs, the founder, uh, and his, his uh, co-founder started uh, what was called College and University Computers. Uh, and I decided, hey, looks interesting, looks like fun. Um, I, I need a job as well, right? So I put on my only suit I had, uh, jumped on, I didn't have a car, I jumped on a bike and, and rode about 20 miles in a 100 degree um, day in, in Virginia. <laughs> and uh, hmm. so I, I finally arrived uh, fully soaked and uh, he brought me into his office, which looked very uh, like startup land, boxes all over, papers all over and so on, and just uh, basically in a garage. And so he brought me in and the first thing he did was he looked like he needed a beer and he walked over to the fridge and got me a beer. So I thought, hey, this is a good start. Yeah, I, I think I can get along with Lee. Um, he eventually hired me and I stayed there for several years uh, building the company and uh, we became best friends and uh, he mentored me a lot and um, I eventually, I think we're, we're in par right now, we, we see each other about once or twice a year in, in non-COVID years and um, he's still the best friend to this day at this point, so I highly respect him. So, um, so well, subsequent to that, I, um, I, I spent some time at a large corporate, which is Dave Ryzen doing software engineering. I uh, didn't really like the, the corporate um, culture there. And then when I went back to um, help a startup, in this case, an agency. This was during the rise of the internet agencies. And uh, three months after joining, I went over to Amsterdam to help open up the Dutch office and uh, spent several years there. Uh, while I was there, we were rolled up uh, by a private company and then eventually went public. So uh, that was exciting uh, times as well. Uh, and then after that, when, uh, worked for some additional startups and agencies. I was a strategy management consulting uh, consultant for a while. I was an innovation uh, consultant as well, working for a company such as Frog Design and Mobiquity, uh, doing work for large corporates, AT&T, Intel, uh, and GE on their corporate innovation initiatives. Um, also had a pr uh, global services for a company called Brightcove that's based here in Boston. 
Uh, it's an online video provider, and I was responsible for the teams uh, across the globe in the U.S., in Europe, and APAC as well. Um, and then a few years ago, I was CEO of a uh, digital marketing SaaS platform and um, exited that in August 2018. And at that point, I said, look, you know, my daughter just turned five. She started kindergarten. Um, I said, look, I'd rather just not be on the road all the time, and I'll take more of a portfolio approach to the, the work I do. So I, I really segmented my my jobs these days into three buckets. Uh, one is giving back to the community. Um, I uh, mentor at accelerators such as Techstars, Mass Challenge, and several others. Also on the board of directors for an organization called Bank Capital. We provide venture capital training to minorities and women. And we just wrapped up a program. And subsequent to the program, they're placed at VCs such as Sequoia Ventures. Uh, and then I'm also on the board of advisors for the Capital Network. We provide uh, venture capital training, I'm sorry, uh, fundraising training for all founders but then also specifically have a female founders program. Uh, second bucket is I advise pre-seed and CHH companies directly and also some scale-ups, uh, typically around uh, strategy, product, operations, and scaling. Uh, and also have a data science and AI, AI consultancy with a part of mine called Gravitate. And we do a lot of natural language processing and computer vision work, both for startups and uh, scale-ups as well. Uh, and then third is on the investing side, I'm an LP in two funds, uh, Mendoza Ventures, uh, which invests in fintech and AI and cybersecurity. Uh, with the two GPs, um, it's a minority, uh, his background is Latino, Mexican background, and then his wife as well. Uh, and then um, about 68% of our investments are in uh, companies that are led by women or minorities. And then I'm also an LP in AI Capital, which applies, um, invests in applied AI. And then finally, on the angel investment side, I'm part of several groups, including TBD Angels, uh, which is about 195 members right now and founded just over a year ago. Uh, still mostly operators to this day uh, and, and a very diverse membership base as well. And we're, we're national. That's where I spend my time these days. Well, so I, I yeah, that's quite a portfolio and, and super impressive. And there's a lot of questions that I certainly wanted to ask you about each of those different um, segments of your portfolio. And um, one of the, I think one of the more interesting of, of many of the things that you're doing that, that I want to learn more about, Eric, one of the more interesting things is, you know, you've talked about this in, in, in other interviews. Um, I'd love to sort of pick up on this theme. Um, you know, you identified sort of at an early stage in your career um, that you had tried the corporate route and worked inside of a larger corporate organization, but really, you know, I think you've even made this comment, like you're, you're sort of a founder at heart, an entrepreneur at heart. How did you um, make that transition? Because a lot of the people that are, I think, listening and that are interested in our podcast are folks that are intrigued by the idea of, you know, a career in venture or a career in startups. Um, so I want to talk to you about your, your own personal journey of like, when did you realize, okay, I really want to do this and how, and clearly you've built a career, but how did you make that initial transition? What were those, do you remember some of those initial steps? Yeah, I think it's it's, um, it's a combination of what drives me, right, and also mindset as well. I think as some people like to go to a job where there's certainty in organization, you know exactly what you're going to be doing every single day. I, I like the opposite, right? I, I, I like the uh, kind of the environment of uncertainty, of, of risk, of, of trying to figure stuff out. I don't consider myself the most creative person. I'm not necessarily the one coming up with ideas, but I love to create overall strategies and implement those strategies and really create 
structure and process. Maybe that's part of my German background as well. Um, but, but I just enjoy that, that building aspect uh, of doing things. And that's, that's what I learned early on as I was looking at the contrast between uh, the, the, the startup world or right, college university computers versus then working for a large company such as Verizon. Um, I just didn't care for that. Now, that said, I was still a, a consultant later on in my life working for these large organizations, right? But at the same time, I felt that was different in the nature of the work I did there even was uh, I wasn't within these organizations, but it was helping them to innovate and change and to do things better, faster, cheaper, right? Bring new products and services to market. So that was working for those organizations, but in a different capacity, still building and making stuff, uh, which I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important and for I want Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I was going to pick up on that. I mean, I, I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit. Yeah, and I think it's important for people to understand because especially um, I do see some people um, wanting to transition from, hey, I've had a corporate life for the past 20 or 30 years. I now want to do something in, in the startup ecosystem, right? And, and, and I think some people can, can really make that transition. And I'm working with a great founder right now at, at Focal Point, uh, Anders, who, who really has done that. And, and you know, up to um, early last year, he was in the corporate world his entire life in procurement. And now just over a year later, he's got a product and market. He's got some great clients building a great company. So he made that transition, right? He's able to deal with that uncertainty of the risk of the ups and downs of, of running a startup. And, you know, th there are a lot of ups and downs, right? Whether it's uh, trying to find product market fit or working with customers or fundraising, right? Fundraising is really, really hard, right? And it takes a lot of time and you will get a lot of no's and you've got to be able to have the resilience to work through that. Um, another fund I work with, uh, we, we uh, have a uh, company called RealPlay and he's an ex-baseball player and that's his mindset. It's like you go up to bat and you strike out most of the time, right? You've got to be able to, to do that. But if you never go up to bat, you'll never get that home run. Uh, or, or, or that win, right? You've got to take the risk. Yeah. So, yeah, it's so true. And I'm, I'm going through that transition mm -hmm. as we were talking about, you know, when we met, I, I, I would say I've worked at a lot of smaller, um, startup early stage, um, alternative investment firms. So other sponsors and, I was very, you know, much thinking the growth equity, the, the, the venture, uh, stage of the company was an area that was very clearly. I mean, you can see how technology is just transforming economies and we just are coming through a global pandemic where technology even more so, you know, was pronounced in terms of its importance in our daily life, in our work life, in our personal life. Um, but being inside of a startup where, you know, we're going through the Techstars program, uh, we started that yesterday in Atlanta, you know, it's, it's fascinating, you know, to be kind of on the inside. And I had somebody tell me this, um, a month ago say, well, you know, if, if you're ever interested in working in the startup ecosystem or the early stage company system, like the best thing you could do is go work for a startup, mm. you know, and, and, and we'll see, I mean, I can totally agree with what you just said, which is like, there's a lot of ups and downs. Companies are pre-revenue in some cases. They're trying to figure out how to, you know, do payroll. They're trying to figure out how we're going to keep this team together. And what's so interesting is, you know, we get to have a conversation today. Um, and I'm, I'm really interested in hearing from your perspective about like, as that LP, you know, when you put that hat on, like, what are you looking for and so I want to ask you some of those questions, because um, that's clearly a big part of your portfolio is being an LP and an angel investor and obviously being invested in a couple of, of venture funds. Um, but 
And then we clearly want to get into some of the giving back and some of the activities. Um, I mentioned the Founders Toolkit, so we'll get to that. But let's let's stick with um, kind of the startup space and the you know some of the activities in, in terms of advisory and consulting that you're uh, engaged in. Um, why seed and pre-seed for you? Like, what is it about those early stage companies? Because they probably are some of the messier companies. They're probably you know, very visionary founder led, but what is it about that versus, you know, later stage in the venture life cycle? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. But by the way, congratulations for making it into tech stars. That's a great, uh, thank you. Good, thank you. Great program. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, what I decided a few years ago is to really be hyper-focused on pre-seed seed stage. Uh, it's it just, I enjoy playing in that particular life stage of a company, right? Because you still have to figure out a lot of things. You might be pre-revenue, you might be pre-product market fit, you might have product market fit, and then you figure out how to scale. So, and in my background, in terms of operations and, and scalability and putting in processes and systems and strategies, um, I, I think I can be of more help there than companies that mm -hmm. are at a later stage. And, and for me as well, it's more meaningful work. It's, it, mm. The impact that one can have any individual at a company at that particular stage is much broader than later on when, when things have been figured out, right? And especially when you get to the scaling yeah. stage, right? You've got the systems and processes in place. Now it's a matter of hiring the right people to run those and then scale the company, right? So um, I like more of the creative aspect of, of the early stage. So that's why I decided to do that. Um, and really, I would say, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm completely guessing here. I would say probably about 75 to 80% of my work is with those early stage companies. And then some yeah. of the work I do is with larger, larger corporates and then scale-ups as well. I mean, right. we're working with a SaaS company right now that's about $50 million worth of revenue, but it's very hyper-focused consulting work in this case in a particular area. And what are the characteristics of the founders and the, the management teams? I mean, sometimes the management team is one person or two people. Right. Uh, and, and I'm seeing that, right, in, mm -hmm. in real time. And I'm so used to looking at... Um, uh, like a portfolio manager, right? Mm -hmm. And a portfolio manager has a research process or an underwriting process, and they may have a couple of analysts, uh, you know, maybe a VP, you know, but it's a very lean team. And it's very much the portfolio manager is kind of making the portfolio decisions, you know, what credit to buy, what equity to buy. Um, but those individuals never scale because they don't realize that it's not about at their level. Yeah, you need to have, you know, good portfolio management skills. But ultimately, like bigger LPs, bigger investors, what they care about is does somebody like, can they run the business? Can they see beyond? And, and so I know I'm asking kind of a tough question because you want to see these founders that have the ability to go there or at least know their limitations and can't, uh, can't go there. So they surround themselves with a board and with a management team. But, but clearly there's got to be some things. So kind of what's your criteria? What are the skill sets, the characteristics that you see in founders? Um, whether it's you want to talk about some of your current investments or you just want to talk more in general, like these are the things that, you know, that, that I am highly attuned to when I'm sitting down to meet somebody for the first time. Yeah, maybe I talked to it just in terms of also just an investor mindset, right? Uh, investing in early yeah. companies where you don't have a lot of data, right? It's different when a company gets to Series A and you do have a lot of data in it to go on. 
a lot of times early stage, you do look at, okay, who's the founder? What's the potential market opportunity that I believe need to believe in, right? And then, yeah. you know, if it's at the idea stage, you mentioned before an idea, I, I think it's more about execution, right? More than it's, we see a lot of times founders pitching us saying, hey, we're the first one out here doing this or that. Uh, and, and you end up Googling and next thing you know, there, there are 10 other companies doing exactly the same thing or, or, or 10 other companies that are in this similar space, right? So, um, more than likely, um, it, it, there are very few times when it is the idea. Um, but you mentioned it before, I think, in terms of, um, coachability, self-awareness, right? And, and the ability to know what you know and what you don't know. Uh, is super critically important, right? And then being able to say, look, and even being honest with, with whether it's investors or, or other partners or advisors saying, hey, I've got a gap here, right? I need to surround myself with the right people who can fill that gap, or I need to be able to fill a gap myself, right? And, and increase my knowledge. Uh, and and there's yeah. lots to learn as a first time founder. Um, so uh, self awareness, coachability is really important. Also, the ability to say, as you grow and as you scale, the ability to say, you know what, I want this company to succeed, right? It's my baby, but I'm not the right person at the head of this company at a certain stage, right? And you might say, you know, I'm not the right person. I'm not the right CEO at this stage anymore. Not all founders are. Some founders are really good at the early stage, but they can't scale, right? And you might want to slot in somebody else. So I think it's self-awareness. Uh, it's really important. Uh, mentioned before resilience, right? Ability to deal with, with failure and, and a lot of no's as well. Um, whether it's from customers or investors and the, the daily ups and downs. Um, conviction is really important, right? And, and smart conviction, right? Ability to say, look, I really believe in solving this problem. I know the space. And that's the other part of, of having conviction. I think really understanding a, a, a problem. And I love founders who've been in the industry and are scratching their own itch, right? And I mentioned Anders from yeah. Point for instance. He's a great example of that. He's been a chief procurement exec for many, many years, and he's been trying to find a solution to the problem he's solving, right? These are companies that are have billions of dollars of spend, and they manage their various spreadsheets and PowerPoints. And typically, when you have an industry where you see uh, PowerPoints and spreadsheets being used, right, it might be uh, yeah. for disruption, right? So he's, yeah. he spent years not finding a solution that can do this. And just a month prior to the pandemic, he said, look, I'm going to build a product to do this and found a company. And he did so. Nine months later, he's in market. He understands his customers extremely well since he's been on that other side of the table. He can connect with them immediately. He's actually a really good salesperson as well, right? So he's, he's not, uh, sometimes you see, especially technologists, right, who are kind of like, it, it almost feel, they feel either they're not very good at sales or they kind of feel icky about it. It's almost like it's a bad thing. But Anders is actually really good because he has such deep exper experience and he's not afraid to sell either. And he sees the value yeah. of the solution. So, so anyway, so I, I think founder conviction and also a, a deep understanding of the domain is, is really important for, for me. And it has to be to your, to your earlier comment, Eric, about you don't have data. So we can't like, you know, in other, other, uh, investment disciplines, right. We, we can look at a track record or we yeah. can look at, you know, you've made a couple of investments via like an SPV or a syndicate. You know, you don't have your fund up and in, in off the ground, but and you look at early stage companies that are seed or pre-seed, it's like you're really trying to evaluate and be as objective, I would imagine, as possible, <laughs> but without a lot of data to go on. So you're looking at again some of those things you talked about. You know, how much domain expertise do they have? How important is it for that founder to have the ability to build a team? 
in the first three to nine months of the company. Um, it, it, it's really, and the reason I, yeah, yeah, the reason I asked that question is because from, from, from my standpoint, like coming into the space, you see a lot of the early stage companies, like I said, they're very founder oriented, founder led, founders got a vision. This is where we're going to change the world. Um, and they keep it up there, unfortunately, mm -hmm. and they don't have a good process and good systems and good tools in their company yet because they're so early stage to get that from their head down into the organization, use it as a way to inspire, recruit, develop, retain. Because when you're early stage, what do you really have to offer employees, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and I'm curious, like as an advisor to companies and as an investor in, you know, other founders, you know, when you talk to them about, here's how to think about growing your team. Here's how to think about, you know, inviting other people to go on this journey with you. You know, they might be leaving a comfortable job. They might be leaving, you know, money on the table and taking a pay cut. What what kind of advice do you typically find yourself giving to founders around those ideas? Yeah, I think it's a combination of uh, being able to inspire those early employees, of, of really painting the, the vision of where you want to go and what, what, what the art of the possible in many ways, right? But I, I think at, at the same time, you've got to be honest with the candidate you're you're interviewing with, right? And saying, look, you know, especially if somebody has not been in this type of environment, um, be honest about the fact that you still do need to figure things out, right? That that there may be a lot of uncertainty, that, that some of the processes haven't been figured out yet, that you can't guarantee them a job in a year or two, right? Because you're still raising funding, right? And, and the fact that yeah. the salary might be lower. So I, I think brutal honesty about the environment that somebody will go into while at the same time being inspiring and, and really having that art of doing both is, is super important. So, you know, in, in yeah. some ways, somebody told me a couple of weeks ago, uh, half jokingly, right? Every job interview is uh, is a dis or is a dialogue between two liars, right? Because everybody's trying to sell each other, right? Um, but yeah. I, I, I think, yeah, yeah, maybe somewhat. But I think brutal honesty from both sides is always important, right? About what the expectations are, right? And then from the candidate's perspective as well, right? So, yeah, um, I think it could also be a red flag yeah. that they're just not yeah. the right candidate if they're, you know, if if there's too much uncertainty that they clearly just can't get comfortable with. Right. Um, that's one thing that I can totally appreciate about the, the early stage startup space is, you know, it's not about things change every quarter, like, mm -hmm. or every month or every week, like literally sometimes every day. Right. And, and you, and you have to kind of have people in the foxhole with you that understand that and will go along in that journey. And, you know, and, and it does make sense why, you know, you see people in the corporate, and I, I'm not trying to bash the corporate mm -hmm. space, right? Um, it's, but it's interesting when you look at venture, and you'll you'll meet somebody, and you'll look at, uh, or or just early startups, and you'll look at somebody, and it's like failure is almost a badge of honor, mm -hmm. right? Where in in the corporate space, like if you if you lose a job at a big Fortune 1000 company, it's like you don't tell anybody, you don't update your LinkedIn and you sort of like you sort of resurface, but nobody knows where you went for like a year. Um, and, and I think that that's, that sort of is an accepted part of what the, the venture early stage company 
process is all about, right? You, you've got to be willing to step up and it's not always going to work out. Yeah. And I think it's important also um, to, to understand why, why the startup failed. And, and as an investor or, or as a founder, you know that most startups fail, right? It's it just the, the, the numbers bear that out, right? But at the same time, you, you've got to ask yourself if, let's say, you have failed at something, you know, what did I learn? Right from from doing that, what can I do better next time? And and whether it's it's failing during the journey or with the journey, right of a company, and then doing the next thing. But even within, I think you need to have it. And this is another quality for founders is that learning mindset, right, of figuring things out. And you know, if you hit the wall, don't hit the wall over and over again. Figure out a way around, right, and kind of kind of see beyond the wall and how can you go through it. And if if you don't have, uh, if you can't figure it out. Again, tap the people around you, whether it's your team or your advisors, your board members, to help you with that. There's no shame in asking. Uh, there's no shame in asking even questions that you might think are very fundamental, right? It, it's it, that's okay, right. right? And especially from the investor side, you want the founders and you want the startups to su- succeed. So we'll, we'll you know, it's, it's the human capital side, in addition to the the, the cash or the, the financial side as well, right? That you'll get from it, right? Yeah. So, so two more questions around sort of founders and CEOs. One is around um, a founder's ability to actually sell the company, right? Like raise capital. I mean, that is a diff. I mean, I've been doing that for over 10 years and it is an art and, you know, there's a network effect to it. There's a, just being kind of a, you know, somebody that just will run through walls, right? get on planes, travel the world, go where you have to go for the pitch. Uh, obviously, a lot of that's being done over Zoom still. But talk about that. Like, how important is that? I know venture has this reputation for being this closed, hard to penetrate. All the money's going to a select number of, you know, founders that come up with startups over and over and over. Like, help us understand, like, that skill set. And is it important to founders? Is it something that they can get better at? What's your experience, Ben? Yeah, you can definitely get better at it. What I tell founders always is, um, you know, uh, raising money uh, or venture is just like selling. It is selling, right? And just like you do in customer development, you need to do investor development. And just like you need a sales strategy, you also need a fundraising strategy as opposed to being haphazard and just, you know, uh, going from one fund to the next without really understanding what how am I raising money? What kind of capital am I raising? And how much do I need to raise, right? What's the process? And how do I create this funnel of investors who I can qualify and then target, right? And, and they're, they're, they're tools and processes that can help you do that. It's important, though, to understand what those tools and processes are and also the resources available to you. And, and you mentioned in terms of the kind of view that venture capital is very closed. I think that's changing a little bit, right? Especially with the past yeah. few years where um, there's been more focus on uh, minorities and women uh, investing and, and more funds saying, hey, no warm introduction required. Not everyone's has changed, right? But I think there are more funds who are open to that and where you can get access. That said, uh, network is still very powerful, right? And, and unfortunately, still a big part of it as well. So there is this seg- sector, I would say, of venture capital that's really hard to get at. Um, but you know, I, you mentioned the, um, um, the 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 list that I created, right? Um, the, the guide. Um, and, and the reason why I created that is because I worked with a, a coach, a, a black female entrepreneur, uh, a few uh, about six months ago. 
And um, she asked me questions about resources for fundraising. And uh, and I got that question over and over again. I said, look, I'm actually going to start writing this down, right? <laughs> Create this uh, this fundraising guide, right? Put it on LinkedIn so everybody can, can have access to it for free. And I was just starting to continue to update that for about a month and a half. And the more I dug, you go down these rabbit holes and find one more resource, one more resource. And, and the fact is that there are a lot of resources out there. Um, I think it's also a matter of educating people about what is out there, right? And the fact that who can I connect them to, right? What, what communities can they be part of that can be peers potentially or access to venture capital uh, and, and so on. So, so there is a lot out there, um, but at the same time, you've, it's discoverability that's an issue at times as well. Yeah, well, I want to give you a shout out because I talked about this earlier in our in our interview. This whole um, you know notion, which is very important to me, and one of the reasons I started the podcast is the values in action. Right? It's like the, there's a there's a you know there's a lot of people in the industry who will talk about diversity and inclusion and you know more people at the table and looking with a broader lens and all these different ideas and i do think that some of that is happening i 100 percent do um but i also you know you know see a lot of people that are willing to actually take action you know and it's not just about like writing checks and you know spray and pray and put the money out. Um, I think it's it's focused. And one of the things that I was really able to do with your you know with your toolkit is just forward it on to people, right? I mean, it's just that simple. It's like, and a lot of those people are like, "Wow, I had no idea all these accelerators existed. I had no idea that there was a a, a platform for female VCs, you know, mm. or uh, African American and Latin X VCs, you know." So. And you're actually invested in, you know, one of them, um, in those ventures. You mentioned that. So, uh, so I just wanted to give you a shout out because I think it's, you know, I think creating that awareness and helping people understand like where the doors are, it doesn't mean you can walk them through it, but at least you can point them in the direction and start giving them awareness and exposure about the importance of what we're talking about, which is building that network. Right. You know, thanks. Yeah. And, you know, I, I really doubled down the past couple of years with everything that was happening and, and, and I said to myself, look, you know, I, I do have a seven year old daughter, right? She's turning eight next next month. But uh, my, my major uh, goal is to build a better world for her uh, at the same time for others as well. And um, I, you know, what um, what I talk about a lot is intent. Right. And like you mentioned, some people talk in writing. They might write checks. Right. But I think there's more to it than that. And I think it's really important for me as, as a white male, right, to to have that intent and, and to be an ally and to do my job as well. Um, and, and I hope others, and I know others do, but I think more, more, always more can be done, right? So. Sure. Yeah, yeah no, there's definitely all, always more we can be doing. Um, let's talk a little bit about, you, you know, we've talked about uh, the team and the founders and the CEO and some of the, the areas. I want to get your I want to get your perspective on kind of where we are in venture capital. Like if you just look at venture capital, there's been like I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and a report came out last week that um, in the first half of 2021, more capital was raised in Atlanta for the VC space um, than almost all of last year. So there's just a lot of money. And that's just Atlanta, Georgia. And it's a hot area. I mean, a lot of people are talking about Atlanta. Um and I happen to be going through, you know, a, a, a big accelerator program. I think there's 10 companies in the cohort. There's just like a lot of enthusiasm there. But 
looking at venture overall, I mean, you've been in this space for over two decades. Um, so you've seen different cycles and you've seen, you know, what accommodative Fed policy means and you've seen liquidity um, coming into the system multiple times before, like, give us like an overview of kind of where you think we are in, in terms of valuations. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of money that's being pushed into the space and then, and maybe also just talk about like, it's not just about VC anymore. Meaning if you're a founder and you want to go raise money, I mean, there's family offices getting into the space, there's hedge funds, you know, you're in Boston, there's lots of different sources of capital. Uh, that are interested in tech companies, growth companies, early stage companies. So maybe talk a little bit about those two dynamics. Sure. Yeah. I think in terms of where we're at, um, it's, it's, there's a tremendous amount of capital out there right now. Right. And, and especially if you look back a year from when, when the pandemic started happening and everybody said, said full stop, you know, things are going to blow up. Right. They didn't. Right. I mean, obviously there, there, there are some sectors that, uh, travel, tourism, entertainment, and so on that were impacted. But then if you look at e-commerce, the boom in e-commerce, for instance, right, the, the share of e-commerce of global commerce prior to the pandemic was about 16%. And that was, uh, it went from 12% to 16% over 10 years. We're not about 25 to 30%, depending on what numbers you, you're looking at, right? And, and we're never going back to that pre-pandemic stage, right? It's going to recite somewhat. I think people will go back to the real world, right? But it's going to be yeah. more of a hybrid. Um, so I, I think there's a tremendous amount of money out there. The question is, will this boom continue? And if so, for how long? It will come to an end eventually, I think, right? But it's a, it's a question of time. And, and, and frankly, I don't know, right? There's chatter right now about, you know, we are in a bubble, right? And, and there will be a lot of failure. But at the same time, if you look back at past bubbles, um, they're natural in the venture space, right? And, and uh, good companies, there will be a lot of companies that fail, but there will also be a lot of good companies coming out of it. And I think the access to capital, the amount of access to capital is, is good on one hand. On the other hand, the valuations are so sky high right now as well, right? So, so the question is, can that continue at this rapid pace at this point? Um, so, so not quite answering your question, giving my, my opinion. I, I'm, I'm not sure, right? But yeah. I think it, it's great to see what's happening right now. The, the fact that the pandemic hasn't really killed off the, the sector overall, um, and it's good to see that there's more capital available to to founders. And also globally, I think you're starting to see a trend where you're starting to see more, let's say, U.S. investors, VC specifically. Because there's so much money here, they're starting to say, hey, what about Europe? What about the Middle East or, or APAC, right? So you're starting to see more money going into those emerging markets from U.S.-based investors as well. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, one of the things that I was talking to a founder yesterday um, about how they kind of just got those initial dollars. I mean, we're talking like the first quarter million dollars uh, of capital just to kind of get the breathe life into the into the company and mm. uh, this particular founder said that they were they had used a reg I think it was a reg CF like a reg crowdfunding portal and it was a more passive way I mean they weren't actively reaching out but you know that in and of itself one thing that I've had this conversation with a lot of people over the last um, three or four months and I think this goes back to you know Robin Hood. Mm -hmm. when there was a lot of stimulus flowing and there's a lot of people that were stuck at home um, and they had time is like one of the things that I think happened there to me was that you saw Wall Street and traditional like financial institutions realize that this organization came along and it's like sucked up a lot of small 
accounts, uh, retail investors, whatever you want to call them. Mm. But it was, you know, tens of millions of accounts that were opened there in a short period of time. Now you've seen these big, you know, organizations, you know, get into the space and everybody's slicing up an investment, selling it off, you know, low minimums to open up a brokerage account. So we're seeing all this innovation, I guess, in fintech. And, and I think it's also democratizing access to private companies right. and access to capital. Not that that's a better way to go fund your business than going to a family office or going to a, you know, uh, to venture capital. But I think it is an interesting development uh, that's got a lot more runway. Um, as more and more individuals see these billion dollar companies, you know, or valuations anyway, billion dollar valuations happening, I think more and more people have this FOMO, right? Mm -hmm. Of how do I participate? You know, even if I'm not accredited, do, is there a way that I can participate in the private economy? You know, and uh, I don't know if you have a take on that, if that's going to end terribly for people or uh, if people should be sticking to the experts, you know, and it's a it's a game or, or uh, a space only for the institutions. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's a big deal. And I think it's a good thing that there's this de democratization of investing, right? And, and if you look at the crowdfunding platforms such as Republic, where, where I'm a venture partner and we fund and others, uh, I think there's more access to capital available and then more access to the average investor, right? Uh, and, and I think some of the stop guards still need to be in there, especially for those who are not accredited um, because it could end badly for them. I think that's a good thing, but at least to be able to have that access to anyone primarily, right? To be able to invest in these startups and, and hopefully get some of the positive upside with that. I, I think that's a, that's a good thing overall. And I think that will continue to grow. If you look back a few years ago, uh, I think there, there was a part of my mindset of some investors was, well, if you're crowdfunding, right, maybe because you couldn't raise with angels or venture capital, right? That has changed completely, right? And I think it's especially yeah. now in the past year, you're even uh, starting to see venture capital uh, funds raising on, on Republic. Um, uh, backstage capital raised two rounds, right, on Republic, and they're, they're oversold almost within a day or two. So that's becoming acceptable as well. And I think that, that, again, that's a good thing. And I think that at the same time, you see, you're starting to see alternative money uh, uh, and investors going upstream as well to, to the earlier stage, right, as well. So for instance, family offices traditionally are more risk averse, right? I think you yeah. see more family offices these days invest, whether it's SLPs into early stage venture funds or directly into early stage companies. Um, you also starting to see the, the SPACs, for instance, right? I, I think SPACs potentially, they might end badly, right? Because <laughs> I think that's an opportunity for somebody uninformed to invest in companies that, that they have no idea what's going to happen with them, right? And, and there, there might be bad actors in that system. But that, that happens in any type of sector of the industry where you, where you start seeing a, a bubble like this happening. And I, th I think SPACs are potentially a bubble. Same thing with Bitcoin, right? So. I think if you're investing in Bitcoin and, and take a bath, it's 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 on onto you, right? Um, but I think that's a highly risky investment as well. Uh, now that said, I think that there are a lot of people who have made money, quite a bit of money on Bitcoin as well, right? Yeah. Um, but but in many ways, I, I think it is it's it's a pyramid scheme, right? It, it's not, it, it, you know, if you believe it's going to go up, um, you're going to have to get that other person behind you to invest as well, right? So. 
But uh, yeah, one of the, yeah. I think we share that. I think we share that uh, that 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 idea around the democratization of alternatives, and that was you know it was a big part of why you know I wanted to put this show together, this podcast, and really dive into the people behind you know the the funds or the the strategies and get get in the conversation like a real conversation because it's um because it some of some of these asset classes are. Be- beginning to open up to, you know, the everyday investor, the person that's got, you know, they've got their 401k and they're, they're saying like, I want to have a small allocation, like, you know, dedicated to looking at early stage companies and private companies. And now, like you said, WeFunder and Republic and some of these slides and other these platforms are giving them the opportunity to do that for, you know, for hopefully not a, a significant portion of their wealth, but just a fraction of their wealth. And, and I think that, you know, the um that that were in the very early uh innings of that so so you know yeah and, and I, I think i think again it's a good thing at the same time i think we need to be uh as, as a, a venture industry be accountable for education as well and, and financial education right i mean it's it, 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 financial education uh and good practices it's not taught in school it's always been a gap i think for, for most people but i think it's really important if you do invest in this particular sector and startups you know, two things. You know, one is only invest the money that you can can lose, right? Because you might, might lose it all, right? Uh, and at the same time, understand that this is the riskiest asset that you can invest in, right? And, and make sure that it's it's again, you know, figure out is it two percent of your entire uh, wealth? Is it is it five percent? What can you afford to lose? And then be smart about where you invest. And I think that education of of the retail investors is important as well. Yeah, agreed. Well. I always like to wrap up with um, getting to know and hear more about some of the things you're in, uh, into on the weekends or personally, what, what you read. But before we do that, I want to I wanna finish with one sort of question. You have this really interesting portfolio approach that you've kind of created for yourself, Eric, which is you've got, um, you know, clearly activities around giving back and building community. And you talked about um uh, Vin Capital and being on the board of advisors of Capital Network and some of the other activities where you're providing exposure and access. You also are clearly very busy in advising and uh, providing uh, consulting to early stage companies, seed stage, etc. And then you talked about being an LP. How how do you manage to? see synergy between all of those different activities um is it an art form is it something that you've gotten better at over time because clearly uh you're a very busy person you've got a lot going on and you like it uh and and you seem to really enjoy and thrive in that you've talked about that today but how do you make it work yeah for me it's it's having structure in my my life and work and 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 personal life so so i'm i'm very structured i'm i'm entirely driven by my my calendar um i, I typically plan things about two weeks ahead and and have a cadence um you know there are always things where um there are exceptions right in terms of uh things blowing up and somebody needing help immediately and so on and i obviously you know work with that as well but i i tend to compartment my compartmentalize the work that I do and over the, the week and uh, over the days that, that I work. So for instance, today, um, I'm obviously on your podcast, but, but I'm primarily working with, with another startup um, on helping them launch. So probably about four to six, five hours today spent with that one, one, uh, one startup. And then tomorrow is another one. So it's, uh, 
I think the, the other piece then is uh, where I, as, as the work that I do, am I managing or do I need to be in a kind of a headspace creatively, right? And if, if I need to yeah. be in that creative headspace, uh, I tend to turn off email, Slack, and all the other things that could be distraction as well. So that, that helps productivity immensely. Um, in terms of structuring my day as well, I started about, it's been maybe seven years right now. Um, I started getting up really early in the morning and, and a couple of reasons for that. Um, I, I should get up about 4 a.m. in the morning. Uh, and I, I started doing that. One is I had clients uh, in APAC and uh, Asia Pacific and then in Europe as well. And I either need to work late nights or early mornings. So it was early mornings for me. And then uh, when my daughter was born, I wanted to get work done before she was awake. So um, I, I get up at 4 a.m. to this day. I do go to bed by about 9. But I, I'm, I'm extremely productive in the morning before everybody else wakes up and, and uh, there are other distractions. So that's been a, a productivity hack for me personally for the past few years. Yeah, it seems to be consistent with a lot of the more successful people. They're the busiest people I know, too. Yeah. Right. And uh, you don't hear them talking about like, I don't have time. You know, they just learn to say no and mm -hmm. they know how to schedule. Right. And they prioritize. And and so I think that uh, there's probably a lot that our listeners can take from that, because a lot of people want to be involved in a lot of stuff. But then they realize like they've overcommitted. So it seems like you've found a, a good balance. Yeah, I, I think and, and since you mentioned it, I think that's really important as well. It's the ability to say no. I, I'm not the best person at that all the time, right? But I, I've, I've noticed over the past few months, especially, I, I, I do need to say more, no more often than I like, and, and that is just to be fair to the people who I am working with right now, so I can keep up the quality of work and, and pay attention to them, whether it's my family or my clients, right? Uh, and yes, I do have maybe two or three week lead time before I can do a, um, a mentor session, right? But uh, I need my time as well to build my companies and my business and at the same time help my clients and my mentees as well. Yeah. Well, tell us how you unplug as we wrap up. I mean, there's obviously the human side of this and so much of what we've talked about today is about, you know, it's performance. I know you're an avid uh, cyclist. I know that, you know, your health is a big deal. You talked about having a family. Um, so I'm curious, like, what are some of the, maybe some of the hacks that you've employed around, you know, maintaining, uh, your health and well Uh, is it reading? Is it just unplugging? What, what kinds of things do you do? Yeah, so I, I'm. Um, I love cycling and, and um, athletics, so I, I tend to do a lot of that. Um, I, I work out about six days a week, uh, but when I do that, uh, especially when I'm on my, my spin bike in, in my studio, I, I tend to double task and, and listen to podcasts or, or do the mental, yeah, learn mentally and, and physically as well, right? So, so that's been one productivity hack as well. Um, obviously, I'd love to spend time with my daughter and my wife as well. And, um, you know, during normal times, we, we'd love to travel. Um, and uh, I'd love to read as well, uh, reading both nonfiction, sometimes fiction. Um, and then, yeah, on occasion, I, I binge on a show on Netflix or a, a yeah. service every once in a while. So um, we're all guilty of that. Yeah. Well, I want to la ask you one more question as we wrap up. Um, you know, we both have children. Mm. I have three that are nine, six, and four. You have, you mentioned having almost, isn't an eight year old? Um, what is when you look ahead, when they're, you know, when they're, uh, our age, what do you think the, the venture industry looks like to them? I think that, um, there's going to be a tremendous amount of innovation, um, over the next 
20, 30 years, especially if you look at the, some of the frontier technologies, you know, it's not going to be, you're not going to have general AI in 20 or 30 years, right? Uh, the AI you see in movies, but I think there's tremendous innovation happening, for instance, in that, that sector with those technologies, uh, for the advancement of humanity. I think if you look at the, all the negatives of the pandemic, the good thing is it's really accelerated a lot of innovation in healthcare and life sciences with mRNA and so on. Okay. We're now solving COVID-19 with mRNA. Can we solve cancer potentially, right? Or other diseases. So it's, it's really encouraging about some of the outcomes of really being able to build a better world, right? And I think venture will eventually start looking at those frontier technologies as well. Uh, and I think that's what you'll, you'll start to see, uh, too. That said, I think there's, um, I worry a lot. Uh, about the future as well, right? Especially given uh, politics and social media and everything else that you see out there, right? And, and the influence on, on us as humans, right? And, and potentially, I don't want to get too much in a rabbit hole, but the divisiveness that I think some of these social media platforms cause. So I think that's something that I'd like to see, we need to solve as, as humanity overall to, to have that better world for our, our kids and children. Well, I, uh, I I completely agree, and I think one of the things that you're doing through your activity, your contributions, speaking up, being willing to join, uh, you know, podcasts and talk openly about, you know, these issues, I think is a big deal. And I'm hopeful that you know one of the things that our conversation will inspire is a is a further conversation um, and an opportunity to talk about diversity, talk about you know, the challenges that we face and talk about the role that venture capital and the founders that are uh, seeking capital from the space um, have a responsibility to right beyond their product and beyond, you know, their platform is like, what are the you know, what's the contribution? And I know that that's something that a lot, probably more founders are taking um, much more serious consideration to, um, cause their LPs are asking them to and demanding of it. Um, so, yeah. well, with that, I appreciate your time today, Eric. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for joining us today on ATL Alt. Sure. Hey, do you want to, um, you, you asked about book recommendations, right? <laughs> so since you, yes, I, yeah, I, I, we'll I'll drop give, that in. So I'll give you two. Um, since, yeah, I, please I, give me your book recommendations. Since I do a lot of reading with my daughter these days, right? And a series that we really love is, uh, Good Night Rubber Girls. Uh, it's about, um, uh, female scientists and, and, uh, authors and everything. So it's a great series of books, highly recommended. Um, and then uh, on the professional side, uh, Matt Bloomberg and Peter Berkland just launched a book. Um, Matt, Matt is the uh, founder and CEO of a company called Bolster that I'm part of as well. It's a uh, fractional um, uh, executive marketplace. And uh, he wrote a book called Startup CXL with Field Guide to Scaling Up Your Company's Critical Functions and Teams. So there's a really good uh, set of thought leadership in there from, from industry leaders. So it's a really good read uh, for founders on helping them scale. Yeah, well, we'll definitely put the links to those two books uh, in, in the show notes, and I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm a big reader. I know you are. Um, I, I think one of the biggest things that you talked about that was a takeaway for me today was just learning mindset, this openness as CEOs, being you know aware that you have blind spots, surrounding yourself with people that can help fill those fill those in and, you know, being remaining curious and, and remaining open to, you know, hearing advice. So Absolutely. it's fantastic stuff. And I appreciate you coming on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed the conversation. You can find links, show notes, and transcripts to this week's show on our website at atlalts.com. Please tell a friend about the podcast and subscribe wherever you enjoy your favorite podcasts. 
Don't forget to sign up for our mailing list and be the first to hear about subscriber-only events and content featuring special guests. Thank you very much for tuning in to our podcast. We always welcome your questions, feedback, and guest ideas. Please email us at info at atlalts.com and engage with us on social media at atlalts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn.